The objective, to deliver the NBA to you like no other. News, play breakdowns, power rankings, storylines you never hear talked about anywhere else. It's all straight shots here. Fired by straight shooters. S and gun. This is the Objective Basketball Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Objective Basketball Podcast. S here. Lauren joining me as always. Lauren, how you doing? I am probably doing better than you. I feel I feel bad. <laughs> I know you're struggling with with the voice, so I feel bad. Yeah, but, I, I've uh, got, I'm doing I've okay. Got, I've got some tea here. Good, uh, good, yeah, good, good. Borrowed borrowed the missus's cup. She's gonna be mad about <laughs> that. But uh, no, we're here. We're here, and we're kicking, and we're 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 alive, ladies and gentlemen. We're you know, alive. Blessed blessed to see another day. Um, uh, let's just let's talk about some housekeeping before we get to the NBA playoffs and what we saw last night with the Lakers and the Warriors and maybe even before that with uh, the Celtics and the Sixers. I think first and foremost, we should we should address that Mike Budenholzer, the Milwaukee Bucks head coach, has been fired, has been let go. Um, he was with the team for, I believe it would be five seasons now since the 2018-2019 season, which was the same time Nick Nurse got hired. So it would be five seasons, yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously a very successful tenure. They, they had some great, incredible regular seasons. They obviously won... Their first championship in you know 50 years with the Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis Antetokounmpo in 2021, uh, but after flaming out in the first round, we talked about it a little bit in terms of you know the the complete disappointment, maybe failure. You know, hey, uh, eh? I know that's a scary <laughs> word to bring up to Milwaukee Bucks fans, but um, yeah, the the disappointment, the failure that was this season. And the way the the Milwaukee Bucks flamed out in the first round to the Miami Heat, mm-hmm. and now we're here. The Bucks now do not have a head coach. They're going to be head coach hunting, and it seems like in general this summer is going to be one that involves a lot of head coaches, right? Mm-hmm. Nick Nurse. Uh, we'll see what happens with the Phoenix Suns and Monty Williams. We'll see what happens with uh, Denver Nuggets head coach Michael Malone, who's also up for a contract extension. There's a lot of um, you know really prestigious coaches that could be on their way out. On top of that, there are some positions that are open. So I'm very interested to see what happens. Doc Rivers, another one that is kind of always floating about. Um, So we'll see what happens. There are very, very, there's a lot of movement in the coaching world in the NBA. And I think, you know, I I tweeted about this and and Raptors fans got really, really mad at me, (laughs) super mad at me. And I get it. I get it from from a Raptors fan perspective because they've spent the last five years uh, competing against the Milwaukee Bucks, competing against Coach Budenholzer, and mm-hmm. they have been able to point out every single little flaw of a coach like Mike Budenholzer. And you know what? To be fair, Coach Bud does have a lot of flaws, right? Uh, we got into it a couple of weeks ago on the podcast about you know some of the in-game adjustment stuff, some of the uh, the I guess the inflexibility that he has in terms of in-game changes that he makes. Uh, I think those are legitimate, but he does have a proven track record of building up teams. You talk about the Atlanta Hawks. He obviously led that team of kind of like B-list players to a 60-win season. Uh, He also built that program up to where it was, and then he obviously moved on to the Milwaukee Bucks and helped develop them into a perennial championship contender as well. So I, I really think that he does have 
a, a good record of being able to build up programs. And I think the Raptors are in a situation where they need to play above their weight. We've talked about it before where I I really don't think this Raptors team is in for a rebuild. I think they're trying to compete. I think they're mm-hmm. trying to be a playoff team next year. And what better way to do that with a, with a guy who has proven that he can make you play better than you actually are in the regular season. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does that with, with a level of development, a level of, you know, in terms of like building up his bench. I think he's done all of that throughout right. his t- 10 years in Atlanta and Milwaukee. So I think Coach Bud would be a good option for the Toronto Raptors. I doubt that actually happens. I think maybe Coach Bud would be interested in moving on to coach another contender or maybe just taking the year off um, and just not doing anything. Because Frank Vogel, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, he's been coaching for a very, very long time. He uh, obviously had uh, a tragic death in his family recently as well. So I, I think it makes sense for him to maybe just not want to coach next year and not want to be in the conversation for it. And I can understand that perspective as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, Raptors fans really, really got mad at me because <laughs> I suggested coach Budenholzer and, and like, I get it. I, I get it from their perspective because yeah. from, from what they see, it's like, Oh, this is a coach that has failed and has been, mm-hmm. uh, and like, he's not been able to make these in-game adjustments and he's been, uh, you know, he hasn't been fluid offensively. He hasn't been creative right. offensively. And that's exactly what this Raptors team needs. And I get that, but yeah, He's also been able to punch above his weight in terms of the rosters that he's coached. And I yeah. think that's what the Raptors currently need as well. Where do you sit on, because I, I just talked about it from a Raptors perspective, mm-hmm. maybe from your perspective, from Milwaukee's perspective, where do mm-hmm. you sit on on what they might do going forward? Yeah, I mean, well, first to start with, with Bud exiting, I obviously with what Giannis said about their their season and it being a failure or not being a failure, I, I agree with everything that he said in terms of like how he compared Michael Jordan and the all of that. I agreed with what he had to say. However, they didn't just get eliminated. If you take everything into context, the manner in which they got eliminated, we said on here was going to set the path for his exit. And so right. I their season I do believe was a failure. And I, and I think that that leaves kind of a sour taste in a lot of just, not just teams, but fan bases mouths as well. Uh, when you're talking about him potentially being a next candidate for your team. Um, and so I can understand why, why, well, for one Raptors fans might not be so super excited about that, but there is, there, there is a, a a decent resume there for, for coach Bud. So, um, I would be interested to see, the Raptors fit. I'm with you. I don't know how likely I see that being at the same time. I don't, I thought I was wondering about the Udoka hire before he went to Houston, his fit in Toronto. So Toronto specifically is a little bit of uh, a question mark for me, but when I'm looking around at, at the rest of the teams that could be looking for that next coach, um, I also kind of questioned Bud's fit there. And and for half of a second, I was like, is there any scenario in which we see him kind of shift gears and be a part of a, a contending staff where he's not the head coach? And right. I never want to rule anything out, but I would also be surprised if that ended up happening. Um, I think he has at least proven enough that he is, especially winning an NBA championship in recent years, that he's he's fit to, to move to another contender and to compete. And so the teams that could potentially be looking for those next head coaches, I'm not sure that bud is exactly what they want especially with i think the biggest critique being the in-game adjustments um so i'm curious to see if we are kind of headed in the direction for a season but potentially a season off for coach bud 
Yeah. And like we've seen it before. I remember when Mike D'Antoni got let go, we were like, oh, who's going to get Mike D'Antoni? And Mike D'Antoni's just like, nope, I'm going to do assistant work or yeah. advising work. And um, there's, yeah, nothing yeah. wrong with that. Nothing Absolutely wrong with not. that. No look, shame in that. Yeah. I mean, look, these these coaches, they get paid very, very well. Um, I mean, Bud is, I believe he still had a couple of years left on his contract. So he's going to be getting that paid out as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, I think from the perspective of, other teams looking first of all let me address the failure thing i completely agree with you i think Giannis took the question as are you a failure as a person and then he he took that and said how am i a failure as a person this 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 was michael jordan a failure every single year of his career etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah. and i think that opens up a very interesting point of view about success how we approach success how we approach failure how we just really uh describe either or and and also mm-hmm. how we how we approach that mindset and how a professional athlete of his stature approaches that. Mm-hmm. But the season was a failure. The se- the fact that they had these expectations of being championship contenders, I had them winning the NBA championship. And then yeah. they get flamed out in the first round against the eighth seed, and they lo- lose it in five games. And to your point, Coach Bud was a huge part of, of that, you know, not calling the timeouts, not adjusting to guard Jimmy Butler, uh, you know, a-, a different defensive scheme. A lot of that is on Coach Bud. So in terms of failure and how much of it Bud has to carry, I think a considerable amount of that is on Coach Bud. And I'm not surprised that they made this move. I really am not. Like this mm-hmm. is this is something that was in the works. I understand them giving him a certain amount of time. You know, we we kind of joked on it as soon as as soon as the elimination happened, but we thought it would be like the next day. Yeah. And they 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 at least gave him a week to kind of figure things out for himself. Mm. As for where he goes, no clue. I, I really don't know if if that's a possibility where he'll go. When it comes to the Raptors coaching hire, I I I am of the mindset that I do think they will hire someone with a fresh mind. And what I mean by that is someone who may not have been a head coach before, someone who might be on the younger side of things, uh, who can relate to the players more. I like the Jerry Stackhouse fit because he has oh, been yeah. a former player. That's a good one. And because he's a former player, he was a former Maverick, right? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so I, I just think it, it makes sense from a where this team needs to be and how much of a culture reset this team needs to have. So we'll see what happens with the Raptors. It'll be very, very interesting. We'll see what happens with Coach Bud. But ladies and gentlemen, it is playoff time. Get in the game and make your next bet with Sports Interaction. Bet before the game or live and play on all your favorite team matchups. Head to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN or download the app to get started 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Speaking of the NBA playoffs, last night we had ourselves a playoff game. Uh, I was very excited for this. I mean, Lakers Warriors game two, Lakers stole game one. Um, I think they had a good chance to steal game two, but the Warriors just came out and adjusted really, really well. I think the the main adjustment was starting Jamichael Green uh, and and benching Kavon Looney. It gave them a certain amount of you know spacing that they needed shooting wise. And Jamichael Green, I believe he finished with I don't know thirteen points, fifteen yeah fifteen points. He hit three threes, so he was doing his job on that end. But overall, I think more than anything, they got Steph on the ball more. They they helped. They made him be the one initiating things a lot more getting downhill creating for his teammates and that was evident because Steph had 11 10 12 assists he had 12 assists last night um and i think a lot of that was because 
He was getting downhill. He was making the defense draw towards him, using his gravity to be able to somewhat like a conductor, uh, really orchestrate the Lakers defense and make them bend to their will. Mm-hmm. That way, Clay Thompson had an incredible game. He had 30 last night. He was on fire. Uh, again, Steph did his thing, but then also even like the Draymond Greens and Jamichael Greens of the world, they contributed offensively. And I think it's because of how much Steph helped them open up. So they started to trap Steph because they wanted to get the ball out of his hands. And now Steph is being opened up as a playmaker, as a guy who can create for others. Mm-hmm. And I, I tweeted about this, but you have a guy who is such an incredible three-point threat, especially a guy like Steph Curry, who is the greatest three-point threat. If you trap him, now he has to throw it off to Draymond Green, who is one of the best passing big men ever. And Draymond, in an advantage situation where it's three-on-two, because you have two guys to the ball, and now you have essentially a three-on-two situation where you, you have advantage, Draymond is incredible at finding guys open. And Draymond, I mean, Draymond had nine assists last night as well. I just think they did such an incredible job of working that two-man game with Draymond and Steph. And I'm very curious to see how the Lakers counter that in game three in Los Angeles. What were your what were your takeaways? Um, I guess from from Lakers Warriors or anything that you saw? I, I did feel like I'm never a fan of of taking too much away from a blowout game in a playoff matchup. However, this game specifically felt a little symbolic is the wrong word but kind of what you would expect in my opinion from this series I'm not I'm not saying I expect it to be a a Warriors blowout especially after dropping game one but when you're looking at the Warriors I guess depth chart and you're looking at the guy the the modus Moses Moody Kevon Looney Gary Payton like even just going down the list all the way even like Jonathan Kaminga going down the list and Mm -hmm. you're looking and then you go look at the Lakers roster and you you look at kind of where things maybe drop off a little bit that to me is kind of not maybe not the biggest difference but a huge huge difference in this series in terms of just being able to rely and switch things up for the warriors the big, the biggest example is this Jamichael Green start and and he did like you mentioned a phenomenal job stepping up and and staying ready and so for the lakers you can easily look at their numbers and just say oh the shooting splits they had an off night they got blown out done but i do think that as this series goes on and they're going to need Anthony Davis to have a game more like game one, much more than game two. And they're going to be needing more and more out of these top guys as they get more and more deeper into the series and deeper into the playoffs and even just more fatigued overall. The Warriors are going to be able to rely on Jordan Poole having an explosive night or yep. Dante DiVincenzo getting hot or, or, or Kevon Looney having a incredibly effective and efficient game. And there are just different guys that they can rely on while also on a night-to-night basis expecting Steph or Clay to pop off or Draymond to to just be everywhere. And so I felt like this game was a was a fair, fair example of how the Lakers are just outmatched. The Lakers have to have a perfect playoff series and a perfect playoff game for them to win this series. Uh, and I think a lot of that rests on the shoulders of Anthony Davis. Mm-hmm. I think Anthony Davis has to be the best player for the Lakers in order for them to win. LeBron was incredible last night. He was great. He was making his shots. He was doing everything defensively. I thought he was awesome. But the Lakers aren't going to win that many games. And it's crazy to say. It's crazy we've reached that point in LeBron's career where he is, I mean, yes, he is a very impactful player, but he is not the needle mover for this Lakers team. The answer will be Anthony Davis. Um, And I, I think that that goes to show you 
if you look at like what the playoffs have been for him so far, let's let's go back and let's look at this this first round series with the Grizzlies. Okay, um, game one he scored twenty two points. The the Lakers win. Game two he scored thirteen points. The Lakers lost. Game three he won, he scored thirty one points. The Lakers won. Uh, in game four the he scored twelve points, but he had an incredible night defensively. He was awesome. He was active. Didn't get a shot to go, but he had contributions from other players. The Lakers ended up winning that game. Game five, he had 31 points. The Lakers ended up losing. And then in game six, he had 16 points, 14 rebounds, and five blocks. An incredible all-dominant game. The Lakers won. The same thing sort of applies here between game mm-hmm. one and game two with the Warriors. Last In game one, he had 30 points, 23 rebounds, five assists, four blocks. He was dominant. He That was like a, a Wilt Chamberlain stat line. And the Lakers won. Last night, 11 points, only took 11 shots. He was not as active, not as looking for a shot, not as aggressive. And I think a lot of that has to do with his injury, man. I I just don't think that him at this level of his career, at this stage of his career, especially with the way the Lakers schedule is set up, the Lakers Warriors schedule is set up where it's, you know, a game every other day. It does not make it easy for Anthony Davis to have a back-to-back dominant games. I just think that's the truth. Uh, yeah. we've, got, we've gotten to the point where like the Lakers will have to win this series in six or seven. That's how they, they, will ha- they will have to draw this series out in order to get good Anthony Davis games. Um, and it's tough because at his peak, where he is offensively, he is up there. With, like You can count on one hand how many players would be better than Anthony Davis when he's playing like that, when he was playing like he was in game one. But then when he gives you a performance like this, it sort of makes you question if there, if, if the consistency, yeah. if it's even possible to do that at a consistent level, you know, he can play like an MVP on some nights and then on other nights, it's like, oh, he's just another guy out there on the court, full right. floor. So I don't know. I think a lot of this rests on AD. I think he is the root from which everything else grows for the Lakers. All the things that they have to create offensively, whether it be, you know, the Austin Reeves stuff that they do with the pick and roll, that starts with Anthony Davis. The Dennis Schroeder stuff that they do with pick and roll, that starts with Anthony Davis. The two-man game with LeBron, that also starts with Anthony Davis. If he's not active, if he's not looking for a shot, if he's not dominant in the interior, the Lakers will lose that game. That's just mm-hmm. how it's it's gone so far. Yeah. And I mean, the biggest thing, and when you're talking about consistency and, and the, the games where maybe the performance isn't as great or, or whatever the case may be, you're going up against the Golden State Warriors. You really can't afford, if you're going to try and push it to six and seven, you cannot afford to have an off night and 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 hope for a, a LeBron James explosive performance. Because LeBron James was good last night, but he wasn't like other level, yeah. godly LeBron James. And so for Anthony Davis, you really, I mean, I don't, I don't want to have the whole conversation about, okay, LeBron is is getting older. Like, you really need to be maximizing on every season. We've talked about the roster and what they've been able to turn this season into, and they, they get props for that. But if you're Anthony Davis and you're on the floor, you cannot afford to be having these just off nights where you finish the game with 11 points. That's, that's just, no. And I think a part of that is the Lakers involving him more offensively as well. I will say credit to Draymond Green. He was phenomenal last night on AD defensively, getting into him, making sure that any shot he takes in the paint 
is going to be, you know, a physical chest to chest type of mm -hmm. shot. Like That's he's true. not letting, he's not giving him the space. And Draymond is a phenomenal defender. I know he's six, nine, he's like three inches, four inches shorter than AD. He doesn't have the arms, uh, the, the length and the arm span, the wingspan that, that Anthony Davis does, but he has always been good at punching above his weight, literally, literally being able to play defenders that are bigger than him. He's the guy who's going to be guarding Nikola Jokic if they end or, ever end up facing in the playoffs. He is able to guard these bigger players, and Anthony Davis is one of them. If Anthony Davis can't be as physical, if Anthony Davis can't be as aggressive, if he's not getting to the line, that's another thing. The Lakers did not get to the line very often in this game. They shot 17 free throws compared to the Warriors' 16. And the free throw discrepancy was massive in game one. They were great at getting to the line. They were getting great, great at getting to the rim. That was completely shut off. And I think a lot of that credit to the Warriors, credit to Draymond Green for fixing and adjusting things defensively to make it harder on Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis also wasn't able to be that rebounding presence that he was in game one. And a big reason for that is because they were sending two or three bodies at him whenever the shot went up. He was when he was trying to box out, when he was trying to get an offensive rebound, there were two or three guys on him. Andrew Wiggins, even Jermichael Green, Draymond Green. They were all surrounding him so that he wouldn't be able to get that rebound. I think the adjustment, what the Lakers end up doing, I am very curious to see how they are going to open up Anthony Davis's game because the Warriors have now said, okay, if you're going to play like this, we're going to play like this. Mm -hmm. and, and now you have to answer back. That's what the playoffs are. This is yep. what the playoffs are. It's it's a chess match. It's hey, we're gonna move this way. What is your next chess move? What is I don't know, knight to queen. Well, I don't I I'm not I'm <laughs> I don't not know a, chess. Yeah. I'm not a chess expert, but I know it's a chess match. Um and I, I know that the fact that like if you're countering with one thing, so the Lakers went really, really big in game one. They used their size, they used their athleticism to really make things hard on the Warriors. The Warriors ended up going small so they could stretch out the Lakers' defense more. Okay, so now how do you go? Are the Lakers going to go small? Are they going to be able to play smaller than the Warriors? Are they going to be able to play faster than the Warriors? Or are they going to double down on their physicality? I think Rui Hachimura was awesome in Game 2, and he was even awesome in Game 1. Maybe a guy like that who has the size, who has the scoring ability, who has the outside touch can be a difference maker in this series. So we'll see what happens. Um, if I had to make a prediction for game three, I think the Warriors will win it, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah I think that way too. Yeah, I think I think they've found something here. Uh, and I'm really, really curious to see how the Lakers react. I mean, obviously, Crypto Arena, whatever the hell it's called now, <laughs> is going to be incredibly loud. It's going to be fun to see that environment. It's going to be on Saturday, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to be listening to this. You're probably going to be like, oh, yeah, okay, it's tonight. Maybe I should tap in. So, yes, you should. You should tap in. Um, want to talk about the other playoff series since we last spoke that has been tied up. That is the Boston Celtics and Philadelphia 76ers. Another blowout. Blowout. Um, the, the Celtics absolutely dominated the Sixers. But Joel Embiid returned. He didn't look... I, I said this online, but like he looked good, but he didn't look great. Um, and I mean, he's an MVP caliber player. You expect his floor to be at a certain level. And he showed you that like he can still be that dominant rim presence defensively. He had like four blocks, five blocks in the first half. But I think 
the Warriors, sorry, now I'm thinking about the Warriors. <laughs> the, the the Celtics did a great job of stretching out the Sixers' defense and making it hard for Embiid, making him work defensively, and it made it even harder for him to work offensively. Uh, the other thing is P.J. Tucker was just a non-factor. They are treating him like what the Lakers treated Kevon Looney and Draymond Green in Game 1. They gave him ample amounts of space and just said, you, you can do whatever the hell you want offensively. Um, and P.J. Tucker has not made them pay. I really think... The Sixers need to do a, a starting lineup change. I would put DeAnthony Melton in there hmm. alongside Tyrese Maxey and James Harden, do the three-guard lineup plus, you know, Harden, uh, sorry, plus Embiid and, and Tobias Harris, and then see if that helps you a little bit more offensively to get your rhythm uh, and to get something going. Philadelphia is going to be nuts in game three, but what yeah. were your what were your main takeaways? I mean, we, we've had two very different games where yeah. it was... That. Boston is looked very uh, shaky in game one. And then in game two, they look like world beaters. They look like the NBA championship contenders that we, we thought they'd be. Yeah, this on the on the contrary to the, the Lakers Warriors game, this blowout is one that I think you take less away from uh, it just in terms of when you're looking at again. And I said the same thing with the Lakers. You can look at the shooting splits and say, oh, well, that's what happened. Philly couldn't get anything going. That's what happened. That's why they lost. But the thing with Philly is, and and why I'd be very interested with the three guard lineup, they do need to get things going offensively, or just throw a different kind of a different layer in there. And I would be curious to see what a three guard lineup would look like with Joel Embiid looking good and not great. I would be curious about the defensive matchups and how that would work um, with a Tyrese Maxey, the Anthony Melton, James Harden, and then you have a Joel Embiid who's still you know, coming back from this injury, you take out PJ Tucker from that equation. I am curious as to what that looks like from a defensive perspective um, for the Philadelphia 76ers. I think Boston could potentially, potentially, I don't want to, you know, say anything for sure, but I I think potentially they could have a field day with that. If, If you're the Celtics and you can have a game where Jason Tatum doesn't even hit 20 minutes in the game because you're just dominating to that effect, I think, I think that says a lot. And so I do expect to see uh, some sort of, um, semi-significant change with, or adjustment, I should say, with Philly moving forward. But I am not the biggest believer in Doc Rivers, so I'm I'm curious <laughs> as to how creative he can really get and how effective whatever adjustment he puts out there will be. Uh, yep. But I also believe in Philly, like what we saw them do in Game One without Joel Embiid. I mean, they've got a lot. They've got a lot to rely on. They got a lot of guys. So um, maybe they do something with B-ball Paul. Maybe they will just have to see where they look. But um, I'm curious to see where Doc goes because I would love for him to prove me wrong for Joel Embiid's sake this year. Yeah, I mean, look, we've talked about the pressure that the Sixers have on them this season. I think Doc Rivers has an incredible amount of pressure on him this season as well. I think some of the things that we could criticize about Coach Budenholzer can also be said about Doc Rivers and the. Rigidness and the in-game adjustment stuff, and him not being able to kind of switch on a switch on the fly to be able to adjust to things, and and like I'm saying, the three guard lineup, but that's in a very ideal world. I just don't think that they would end up doing that. Um, and it does it does cause some problems defensively. You're right because Tucker is a big body. Tucker's a guy who's going to crash the offensive glass. He gives them those extra possessions. So. To that point, I, I agree. I, I don't know if Doc Rivers will be doing that, but I think they should. I just, yeah. You know, that's the that's the case in point with this team. I was just looking up some of the lineup stuff from the uh, Sixers playoffs so far, and they really haven't played that three-guard lineup much. Um, 
so I it's it's interesting to see how they'll go in Philly. I think the 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 main thing is like how much will Embiid how good will Embiid look in game three? Yeah. Obviously he he said post game that I was supposed to be out for four to six weeks, and it's been two weeks since his injury. So he's not gonna be at the MVP level that people are expecting him to be. And even if they do somehow pull out this victory and pull out, you know, somehow upset the the Celtics. How does he look in a conference finals against the Knicks or Heat mm-hmm. is also a question moving forward. How 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 he looks in general. I, it just feels like this is like delaying the inevitable with the Sixers. Uh, and I hate to say that because of the amount of pressure on him, because of the amount of pressure on the rest of the team. You know, the James Harden, Houston Rockets noise in the background. <laughs> um, and I, I just think it'll be interesting moving forward offseason wise. But when it comes to the the Sixers and how they can adjust, I think I think being more fluid offensively, switching out Tucker a couple times, maybe going to that small ball lineup mm-hmm. with uh, B-Ball Paul at your center position with you know a, a bunch of shooters around James Harden, going to that a little bit more, leaning on that a little bit more as they did in game one, could be a good source of offense for them and could kind of bend bend, bend the series to their will. Yeah. Do you yeah, think? I like that. Do you think Philly ties it up in Philly? Or sorry, do you think Philly takes the lead in Philly? Takes the lead in Philly. They've got two games you know over what? the weekend. I'm gonna you say know? I'm gonna give them game three. I'm gonna give them game three. But okay. I do I do think because I just think the the noise is gonna be so loud with them mm-hmm. getting back on that home floor after the MVP announcement. So I think that they're gonna take True. game three. But game four, I'm a little concerned. I'm a little <laughs> concerned about game four. So we'll I mean, see. If you're if you're looking at this from the Sixers perspective, you're like, hey, we did our job. We, we won stole a game. Yep. Yeah, we stole a game. Now it's on us to protect home court. Right. I agree with you that I think they'll get one. So I think it'll probably be two two headed to headed back headed to back Boston. Headed back to Boston. I, yeah. And now and now we'll see what happens in game five. Who knows? I also think the same applies to that Lakers Warriors series. I think it'll be two yeah. two. We'll head back to Golden State. We'll see what happens. Which means it's gonna be excellent, by the way. Awesome. Uh, just, just some quick stuff, some quick notes about the, uh, the rest of the NBA playoffs before we head out of here. Again, my voice is literally collapsing as we talk. So, you know, going to be a short podcast, ladies and gentlemen. See, I can't even do my little excited bursts. I can't even, (laughs) I can't even get, get riled up like that. This is crazy. Um, so obviously tonight is, is game three of that Celtics Sixers series. We talked about that a little bit. But tonight is also game three of Nuggets Suns. Uh, and the Nuggets have a chance to go up three nothing. We've mm-hmm. talked about mm-hmm. the Suns and how they look and you know all that stuff. I I think uh I, I listened to Matt Ishbia, who's the new Suns owner on the Bill Simmons podcast, and he was mentioning how they look at themselves as, as having a three to four year window with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. And I thought that was really interesting. I thought that was That's really, interesting. really interesting because I don't think the NBA fan or NBA media would agree with that window <laughs> because, I mean, Chris Paul at his age, the DeAndre Ayton question. Uh, I just think it's really, really interesting. The other side of this is that there was uh, a Suns reporter, a Suns beat writer who mentioned a potential DeAndre Ayton and Kyrie Irving swap. And I have to get your opinion on this because, you know, you're our, our Dallas Mavericks aficionado. How do you feel about a potential, on both sides, how do you feel about a potential Kyrie Irving, DeAndre Ayton swap? 
you know, Kyrie going back to play with Kevin Durant yeah. and Devin Booker. It's like they they have their big three in Brooklyn again, sure. sort of. Uh, and then, you know, Luka gets his big men. How do you feel? Right. And and also Luka plays with DeAndre Ayton, which is so funny considering the, the draft. So Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, from the, from the mass perspective, you're like, oh, heck, yeah, we'll, we'll do that today. I'll <laughs> hit the – yeah, let's do it today. Um, It's hard for me to sell myself on – KD saying, yes, let's welcome Kyrie back. Let's, mm. but at the same time you have Booker in there and, and, and having Booker in there versus having Harden in there, that trio, like it's a different dynamic, but it, I still come back to, it's hard for me to envision KD saying, yes, I'm welcoming a situation where Kyrie, where I'm teaming back up with Kyrie. I don't know how, how, how likely I see that being, but Tim McMahon talked about this a long time ago. He said this Kyrie move, and and we've kind of touched on it here when they made that move. That that was my first reaction was them making this move puts them in a different position in terms of I'm not saying they're going to be able to go out and make a grand slam trade and bring in a crazy level number two next to Luca, whether it be a big man guard wing, whatever the case may be. But them going out and getting Kyrie Irving opens the door if they can get him to sign this extension or get him to resign, and that looks like it's going to happen as of today i would bet that it happens yeah um it opens up the door for when he does ultimately ask out to then go have conversations with real guys that they can build build a real core with um there are plenty of teams out there who have big concerns at the point guard spot whether it be a chris paul or you're looking out and and even like minnesota is one that i keep my eye on uh trying to get someone with anthony edwards when maybe a situation has run its course out in Minnesota, there are plenty of situations around the league. So I think for Dallas, they have put themselves in a position to try and be able to make a move that could get them something more than what a package of Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith and a first round pick would have gotten them right. in a different situation. So I think the Mavs are, 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 are comfortable with that. That's just my read for the Suns. The only way that you move on from Deandre Ayton in my mind, is if the situation between Monty Williams and him or just internally, it has just gone so far to the left, so far sideways. Yeah. And and because to me, you need him. You're going to have to then go out and figure out a replacement there in addition to addressing the Chris Paul issue. I The three to four year window is quite optimistic. I think that those two together, Book and KD, their personalities, I actually do think could could work together for four years and that they could make it to four years. But yeah. the kind of in-between spots, we've talked about having another offseason, having another trade deadline under them and, and filling kind of the, the, uh, the rest of the roster out, how beneficial that could be to them. I think that that is going to be huge for them. But the Chris Paul question is going to be huge. It's kind of why I actually come back to Fred Van Fleet as an option. I think Fred Van Fleet is a much more realistic potential option for Phoenix to go out and pursue, not mm -hmm. in free agency. I think it would have to be a via trade thing a little bit down the line. Um, but in, in, to answer your question with Kyrie specifically, that would really shock me. But this league, you can't rule anything out. So Crazier things have happened. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when it comes to the Suns, I think we've talked about it with them needing an offseason to kind of revamp this roster a little bit, just work around KD and book, add some veterans. I think that makes tons of sense. Um, but when it comes to doing anything drastic like that, I think it doesn't start with DeAndre Ayton. I actually think it starts with Chris Paul. Um, obviously Paul is going to be out for, for games three to five for this series. He has a hamstring strain. And we're not sure if he'll be back for the rest of the series. We'll see. We'll see how far the series even goes. Um, but I think the big 
the big situation here is the Chris Paul situation and how they move forward from that. He obviously was a huge part of bringing the Suns back to kind of relevancy, if you will. Um, but also, he's getting older. He is at a point where, I mean, look, let me let me look up his contract real quick. He has a partially guaranteed contract next year. Uh, it's it, He has $38 million, but I believe only $15 million of it is guaranteed. Uh, it, it becomes fully guaranteed in the summer. It becomes guaranteed on June 28th. So they have a chance to move him before that. And then the year after that is fully non-guaranteed. It can guarantee the year after that. So they're in a position right now where they can potentially move a Chris Paul and avoid some of the damage of what this new CBA could do to a team that has Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. And this is the other part that I wanted to mention. You know, Adrian Wojnarowski, Wojnarowski essentially had this this breakdown the other day. Uh, he didn't cry. That's not what I mean by breakdown. <laughs> he, he detailed, he, he said in detail what the CBA could potentially mean for a team like the Phoenix Suns or the Los Angeles Clippers or the Golden State Warriors. Mm-hmm. Um when it comes to creating these mega teams, these superstar teams with three or three guys, three max players, um, it becomes much more harder to build around them because of that second apron. You're essentially they they haven't created a hard cap, but they've essentially created a hard cap with the way that this new CBA structure is. It makes it very, very hard for a team to be able to go over that apron and also still be flexible to make moves around the roster, make the trade draft picks. Even that's another part of this that you, you, it'll be a lot harder for them to move these draft picks to get other players. Uh, and I wonder if the, the Suns, knowing that take advantage of the situation, take advantage of the fact that Chris Paul is a partially guaranteed contract next year, and maybe send him to a team that is looking to take on a player like that, or is looking to, you know, maybe even wave, I mean, I don't think he's at the point where he'll get waived, which is crazy to say about Chris Paul. But I think there is, yeah, depending on the destination, there is an argument to be had that, hey, maybe he goes somewhere um, that kind of makes more sense for him Mm -hmm. and where he's at in his career and where he can be. Because I don't see I just don't see how the Suns can be able to build around him, Booker and KD, and also be able to make and Aiton. And also be able to make those marginal moves around the roster to make it make sense, other than just signing a bunch of vet minimum guys, yeah. you know? Uh, yeah. So I think that's the thing I would look for. I, I, yeah. I'm not sure the Aiton thing makes as much sense as the Chris Paul situation, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you that you got to go move the Chris Paul or address the Chris Paul situation before you address the Aiton situation. Um, I do wonder if there's a chance that they could, I don't want to say kill two birds with one stone, three team trades, especially if you're moving a Chris Paul and a De- DeAndre Ayton at the same time. That yeah. gets very complex. But I do think for the people out there that might be interested in a Damian Lillard, some sort of DeAndre Ayton, Damian Lillard deal that gets Damian Lillard to Phoenix, I have trouble seeing that come to fruition because one, I think if he gets, if Damian Lillard gets traded he's going to have to sign off on the team that he wants to go to and it's hard for me to see him joining a super team like the Phoenix Suns and on top of that the biggest thing DeAndre they just spent all their draft picks on Kevin Durant and they don't exactly have a young star um to add to DeAndre Ayton. not that not saying that he's not a young star but when You're they right. made the yeah. deal for for Kevin Durant they had Mikael Bridges Cam Johnson and a bunch of picks. And so to yep. just have DeAndre Ayton now makes it very difficult for me to envision why 
some sort of Damian Lillard package could work there. Kind of the same same answer for the Trey Young situation. If that comes to light, I don't see that working either. Right. Um, but and I'll say this: I've seen a lot of like, oh, maybe that Durant trade wasn't worth it. You mm-hmm. do that trade every freaking time, every single time. Oh, yeah, you, you have the opportunity. You have the opportunity to get a top. 15 top 10 player all time on your thing who Mm. was playing like an MVP earlier this season before he got hurt. Yes, you do that every freaking time. It's not even a question. Uh, The question now becomes, okay, you know the skill sets of Kevin Durant and uh, and Devin Booker. You know their creators. You know their shot makers. They probably need more shooting around them, three-point shooting, because it's clear from this series that they lack in that department. They probably need guys around them who are good, solid defenders. So, yeah. In hindsight, having a Mikhail Bridges and having a Cam Johnson who fits those needs makes sense. Yes, right. it does. But also, you need that backline rim, rim player, that that DeAndre Ayton type. And I don't think they end up moving DA now that they yeah. have Booker and now that they have Kevin Durant. I think those are the three that you build around. And now, hey, maybe we can go out for a Dylan Brooks on the taxpayer MLE. Maybe we can go out yeah. and get some other guys on the fringes to be able to round out this roster. Because they're not that far away. They have, I've said this so many times for so many teams, and I've said it so many times about your Mavericks. The hard part is done. You yeah. have the superstar. You that is the hard part. Every team in the NBA is looking for a Luka Doncic. Every team in the NBA is looking for a Devin Booker and a Kevin Durant. That part is easy. You have successfully completed that part. Now it's about working around the margins to be able to fine-tune this roster. And we're saying this. With the Suns still in a playoff series, they can still potentially win this series. I know it's 2-0, um, but they could potentially still win this series, and we'll see what happens there. Folks, I'm done. My 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 throat is closing up. I am done. I can't do it anymore. Hopefully, by Monday when you guys see me, it won't be this nasally voice. I don't know if you guys ever watched anybody who's listening, even you, Lauren. Have you ever watched Friends? Of course, yes. Okay. Do you remember when Phoebe gets a cold and then she all of a sudden sings so well? Like her singing <laughs> voice is smelly cat. Oh, smell. yes. Yeah. yeah. That's how I feel. I'd be singing right now. Oh. And man, man, my voice sounds so much better than usual. <laughs> oh, you have no idea. Oh, my. <laughs> Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to go and sing. We appreciate you guys tapping in to the Objective Basketball Podcast. Lauren, anything else before we head out? No, I think we I think we touched on it all this this offseason. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good Very. one. So tune in. Absolutely. And look, we have the NBA draft lottery coming up in a couple weeks. Oh, yeah. That should be insane. Where is Victor Wembanyama going to go? It's I mean, this is maybe going to be the most anticipated draft lottery since LeBron James. That's how yeah. crazy it is. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, we'll have it all covered here. Tap in at the Objective Basketball Podcast. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we will see you guys later. Take care. Follow hosts at Just S. Barahini on all socials and at the Lauren Gunn on Twitter. The Objective Basketball Podcast. Delivering the NBA to you like no other.